Thank you so much for leading us into the presence of God this morning. Because Jesus paid it all, He is my first, He is my last, He is my future, and He is my past. You know, we can sum all that up by just saying Jesus is our everything. Amen? That's really what the, what the writer's talking about there. He's my everything. I'm going to give our everything to Him. It's all about Him this morning. What a blessing it is to be here with you. Take your Bibles, turn them please to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at three verses this morning, three very uh, important, powerful verses, three very well-known verses. Um, as a matter of fact, if you've been in a Baptist church any time at all, you've heard Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. You've heard it since you was, uh, like my grandpa used to say, knee-high to a grasshopper um, in Sunday school. You've heard it all the way growing up, taught in Sunday school, preached from the pulpit, read in your devotional. Um, you've heard Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 a whole bunch. As a matter of fact, I would uh, probably say that besides John 3, 16, these three verses are probably the most well-known verses in all the Word of God. Um, they're most memorized verses in all the Word of God. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. That's not something I'm against. That's something I'm for. That's good stuff. I want you to know if there were four verses, I, if I could only memorize four verses, these are probably the four I'd want to memorize. Amen? John 3, 16. And Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It is packed full of the truth of what makes us children of God. And I, wanna, I want you to know we, we got to get a hold of that message. Can you say amen? The message of grace, the message of love, the message of God's forgiveness. All of that we find um, in those four verses. This morning we're going to look at these three. But now, even though these are well-known verses, they run the risk because they're so well-known, of becoming commonplace to us. We've heard them over and over. We've heard them preach. We've heard them talk. We've read them ourselves. We've memorized them. And because we know them so well, sometimes if we're not careful, they lose their luster. They're not as powerful to us as they need to be. Many times what happen, happens is we listen to these verses, but we don't hear them. Amen? Hey, you know, there's a difference in listening and hearing. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3 when speaking to the church, He said it like this. He said, He who hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. See, now my goal this morning, and I hope and pray your goal, is to hear what the Spirit says to the church. Not just listen with physical ears, but really understand and know what God is saying to you concerning Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I want you to think about how this applies to your life. And listen, how it needs uh, to, to, to work in you and through you to make you what God wants you to be. That's applying it. That's application. That's meditating upon the Word of God, thinking about how it applies to you. And so let's read together Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Then we're going to come back and look at three uh, main points this morning. It says, For by grace are you saved through faith. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Yes. For by grace, through faith, you are saved, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. For not of works, lest any man should boast. And he goes on to say, for we are his workmanship. Everybody say workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Then he goes on and says, for, uh, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Let us pray today. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you, Lord, um, that you've done for me what I couldn't do. 
Thank you, Lord, that it's by grace through faith we are saved. It's not of ourselves. Lord, I couldn't do it, but you did it for me. Lord, I want to thank you for making that truth real to me. And I'm praying this morning that you make it real to each and every person listening uh, to the sound of my voice today. Lord, I'm praying that you speak to hearts and change lives. Holy Spirit, uh, would you do the work that only you can do? If there's one here that needs saving, we pray that you save them here this morning. If there's one here that uh, needs uh, healing, we pray that you heal them this morning. If there's one here that has addictions, we pray that those be broken this morning. If there, as a family, that needs healing today, would you heal it right here in these services? Lord, we know that only you can do these things. And we ask you to do your work among your people. Lord, this is not about me. It's not about us. Lord, it's all about you today. Would you speak to me? Would you speak through me? Would you use me as your mouthpiece to speak to these people? In Jesus' mighty name we do pray. Amen. Many times we um, uh, certainly do run the risk of listening without truly hearing. Uh, it reminds me of a story I heard one time about these two little old ladies that were sitting out on their front porch in the summertime. That's one of my favorite things to do in the summertime. Man, when the crickets start hollering and the bullfrogs start bellering and you're able to sit out on the front porch and enjoy a cool summer evening, that's something that I love to do. And uh, that's what these two uh, little old ladies was doing. And the crickets were chirping. And man, they was enjoying the sound of that. And they lived across the street from their local Baptist church. And inside that church, the church choir was practicing for the Sunday morning service. And as in there singing, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And man, as they sung that powerful hymn, uh, the words resonated through the sanctuary and across the street to those two little old ladies sitting over there. One of them's name was Helen and one of them's name was Ethel. And Helen looked over at Ethel and she said, Ethel, um, that, does, that music just sounds heavenly to me. And Ethel looked back at Helen and she said, it sure does. And I heard they make that racket by rubbing their legs together. Now then let me tell you what happened with that sister. Listen, she was listening, but she didn't really hear what she was supposed to. Amen. And many times that's what happens with us. If we're not careful, we can listen and not truly hear what the Spirit of God is trying to speak to our hearts. Now I want to tell you about the grace of God today. The grace that saves. How many of you think well, we got grace that saves? Grace that changes. Grace that sets us free. Grace that makes us new. Grace that gives us heaven. Can you say amen? All of that is possible because of grace. I love preaching about grace because I'm a product of grace. Folks, this morning I don't know where I would be without the manifold grace of God. Listen, I don't know where I would be, but I can tell you where I know where I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be standing before you this morning preaching this sermon. It's only by God's grace that I stand before you. There was a time in my life when the addictions and strongholds of this world had a stranglehold on me and I couldn't break it. I couldn't be set free of it. I couldn't quit it myself. But by God's grace, He changed me. By God's grace, He forgave me. By God's grace, He gave me a new life. A life of purpose, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Can you say amen? It's by God's grace. I know I wouldn't be here this morning I know I wouldn't have missed heaven or, excuse me, missed hell and gained heaven. You know that's what the Bible teaches? Because of the gift of grace that I have received uh, through faith in Jesus, this morning I've missed hell. That's where I was headed and I've gained heaven. And if you're a child of God this morning, that's true for you as well. If you've trusted in Jesus by, uh, through faith, by God's grace, you've been saved according to Ephesians 2.8. 
So we've missed hell. We've gained heaven. I can tell you where I wouldn't be this morning. I wouldn't have a new life this morning. You know what Jesus said? John chapter 10, verse number 10. The thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But you know what Jesus says? I have come that they might have life and life more abundant. He has made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen. I'm not where I need to be yet. I'm still a work in progress. But praise God, because of his grace, I'm not where I used to be. So I love preaching about grace. Grace is one of my favorite subjects. Without grace, I have no hope. And without grace, you have no hope. Now, there's three points that I want to make to you this morning. First of all, I want us to see the purpose of grace. And we're going to answer the question, what it is. And then I want us to see the power of grace, what it does. And then we're going to see the people of grace. Who are they? Let's look what the Bible says. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Look at the first three words. For by grace. What is this grace? Well, I like a lot of times, man, and when we've been in church for a while, we've been saved for a while, uh, we sometimes speak to a lost and dying world, what I like to call Christianese. We say words like grace, and we say words like saved, and we say words like justification or sanctification or glorification. And, and even though we've um, been discipled in the Word of God and understand somewhat what those words mean, uh, now I'm not sure I understand all of them myself yet, but uh, I, we've grown a little bit and seen somewhat what the Bible says. When we say that to people who have no knowledge of Jesus, they don't have a clue what we're talking about. So what is grace? What, when we're talking about grace and God's word says it's by grace we are saved, what does that mean? Well, there's many different definitions of grace. I'm sure that you have heard of a lot of them. I've read a lot of them myself. My two favorite, first of all, are um, somebody said that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. I like that. How many of you know that because I have been saved by grace, through faith in Jesus, I am made a partaker of all the riches of heaven. And child of God, you have too. You've been made a partaker of all Jesus is and all Jesus has. The Bible says in Romans eight seventeen that because of God's grace, we have been made heirs to God and joint heirs with Jesus. Isn't that good news? That means I have a piece, I have a part of all that God has. Well, those who have trusted by faith in Christ and been saved by grace, you're more rich than you'd ever imagine. Amen? So I agree with that definition. Grace certainly is God's riches bestowed upon me at Christ's expense because of who Christ is and what He's done for me. Let me give you my favorite definition for grace. It's God's undeserved favor toward us. His undeserved favor. How many of you know what favor we've been given by God is not deserved on our part? Now, I truly believe there are a lot of people who feel like they are worthy. They deserve what Jesus has done for them through the cross. Let me tell you something, folks. If anybody gets what we deserve, if I get what I deserve or you get what you deserve, all of us get a devil's hell. All of us are lost and undone, condemned sinners apart from Christ. I am not worthy of salvation. You are not worthy of salvation. No one is. We couldn't be. The cost was too great. Salvation cost the life of the God, Son of God and God the Son. Amen? So we're not worthy of that. 
I'm not, you're not, nobody is. I was in a revival service once upon a time when a lady stood up and she testified and she said something like this. She said, I, I tell you what, I'm so glad God looked down from heaven and saw something in me worth saving. Let me say something to you. When God looked down from heaven and looked at me, he didn't see nothing worth saving. You know what the Bible says? When God looked at me, he saw me in my sin. He saw me just like the Bible says, Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. He saw me in my unrighteousness. He saw me just like the Bible teaches, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He saw me in my sin, separated from himself. Listen, standing in need of a Savior. He didn't see anything good in me. To hear that lady talk, it was almost like she was saying, I don't think God would have made it if he hadn't got me on his team. Folks, let me tell you something. God does not need Israel Price and God does not need you. But by His grace, His undeserved favor, He sent His Son to do for us what we couldn't do so that we might be born again in the family of God. So that we might be made a partaker of the riches of God. The riches of heaven. Isn't that good news? Wow. That's the good news of the gospel. We are not worthy, but we are loved. And because we are loved, God has shown us grace, mercy, forgiveness, favor. Not because we deserved it for who we was, but just because of who He is. That's what grace is. They don't want us to see the power of grace. What's it do? Look what the Bible says. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace are you saved. Well, when you say the word save, what are we talking about? Uh, again, uh, when you're out witnessing to uh, lost people, don't ask them if they've ever been saved because they ain't going to have an idea of what you're talking about. Most people are not. Now, a lot of people think, well, uh, if, if I've been saved from a car wreck or I've been saved from falling a well backwards, or I've been saved from a horrific experience in my life, and there's no doubt. Listen, God does play a part a lot of times in those things. No doubt about that. Because of mercy. <laughs> Because of grace. But when the Bible here in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 is talking about saved, it's not talking about physical salvation. It's talking about spiritual salvation. When it says saved right here in the Word of God, it's talking about a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that changes a man, woman, boy, or girl's heart on the inside and begins to make a difference on the outside. It's about God giving peace where there was no peace. Amen? It's about God giving joy where there was no joy. It's about God changing you to become like Himself. That's what saved means. Saved from what? Well, first of all, we're saved from the wrath of God. Everybody take your Bibles, please. Turn with me to Romans chapter number 5. Romans chapter 5. We want to look this morning at two verses right here that I absolutely love and I hope and pray you do too because these two verses are certainly dripping with the grace of God. Look what it says. But God commends His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, watch this now, Christ died for us. That's got grace all over it. While we were still in our sins, God bestowed upon us His undeserved favor. He sent His Son to take the punishment for my sin. We just sang about it. We just praised God through the song, Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. That's what this verse is talking about. 
Then it says in verse 9, much more than being now justified. Watch this now. By His blood, we shall be saved from God's wrath through Him. Let me tell you what happened at the cross. At the cross, God placed the sin of all mankind upon His Son. The punishment for my sin, for your sin, for the sins of the whole world was placed upon Jesus there on the tree. Can you say amen to that? Isn't God good? He did it for you to pay your sin debt. The debt has been paid. God's wrath for sin was poured out on His Son there at the cross. And the Bible says all who trust in Him by grace, through faith, can be saved from God's wrath. Your sins can be forgiven. You can be washed whiter than snow, though your sins be as scarlet. Folks, that is true for everybody who chooses to believe. Wow. Aren't you thankful that God, the ground is level at the foot of the cross? Me too. Because if not, I have no hope. <laughs> but now let me say this. If you choose not to trust in the finished work of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, your sins will still have to be paid for. You will still be under God's wrath, and that's what hell's all about. Jesus took God's wrath on the cross, but if you choose not to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin and be saved by grace through faith, guess what? You'll pay for your sin debt in a place called hell for all eternity. That's what the Bible teaches. Grace saves us from God's wrath. <laughs> like I said before, I've missed hell and gained heaven. I'm going to say that again. You must have missed that. I've missed hell and gained heaven. <laughs> yes. That's good news. So very thankful for it. He saves us from God's wrath. Let me share with you something else. He saves us. Grace saves us from our own sin. Go to Romans chapter 6, just a few pages over, and look down at verse number 14. The Bible says, those who have accepted God's gift of grace, been saved, it says, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. How many know the child of God does not have to live in sin? See, I never want us to get to the point where we use our flesh as a crutch. Well, Brother Israel, nobody's perfect. That's right, nobody is perfect. But we are to perfectly purpose day by day to be what God wants us to be. And because of God's grace, listen to me now, we, we are saved from sin. We don't have to sin. We're set free of sin. The man in sin has no freedom. All in the world a sinner can be is a sinner. But when you become a saint, when you become a son of God, when you have the power of God, the power of God's grace inside you living through you and the person of the Holy Spirit, you can be what God wants. Now you have freedom to live a life pleasing unto God. A lost man don't have any freedom. I hear these people, I, I, I was talking to a gentleman um, here I guess about a year ago and, and he was tell, I was talking to him about my faith, sharing my faith with him. And he pretty much just told me, he said, man, I know what you're saying is right, but I don't want to quit what I'm doing. I like what I'm doing. I like being able to freely do what I choose. See, that brother thought he had freedom. He didn't have any freedom. He's just doing what a lost man does. I'm going to tell you something. You ask, ask the alcoholic if they got freedom. They don't have freedom. They're in bondage to their sin. You ask the drug addict if they have, if they have freedom. They don't have freedom. They're in bondage to their sin. They're just doing what a sinner does. 
The one who truly has freedom is the one that's been born again by God's grace and by God's power. You've been set free of sin so that you might live a life pleasing unto the Lord. That's what real freedom looks like, brothers and sisters, and it feels good. Amen. It feels good. It saves us from God's wrath. It saves us from our sin. What else does grace do? Well, it saves us from ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it like this. For if any man be in Christ, what is he? He's a new creation. He's something that's never been before. Amen. That's awesome. He's a new creation. And it says all, all things are then passed away. And behold, all things then become new. I am so thankful. I'm not like I used to be. Again, folks, I'm not where I need to be. But by God's grace, I'm not where I used to be. He's changed me. Do you know that's what happens when you truly get saved? There's a change that takes place. I'm talking about a change in attitude, a change in opinion, a change in your desire. And if there's never been a change, listen, it's unscriptural to say that you've been saved But if there's never been a change. It's not possible. I'm telling you, everybody who met Jesus, when we see it on the pages of Scripture, changed. Let's talk about just a few of them. Don't you look at old Peter. You remember Peter, don't you? That's my favorite apostle. I love Peter. Uh, Dr. Fred Luter calls him switchblade carrying Peter because of what he pulled in, in Gethsemane. I mean, that's exactly what he did. He pulled out his sword, tried to cut the soldier's ear off. I don't think he was cutting the soldier's ear off. I think he was aiming at his head. I just think he was a terrible swordsman. That's who Peter was. I'm telling you, he's a roughneck. Just a regular old guy. He'd he, he just soon fight you as argue with you. That's just how Peter was. But then because of God's grace, by God's grace, he was changed. And we see that same Peter at the day of Pentecost preaching the most powerful sermon you'll read on the pages of Scripture and 3,000 people get saved. The church is born. God uses him in such a way that he's walking through the streets of Jerusalem and as his shadow passes over sick people on their beds, they're being healed just like that. Go back and read it. God did a fantastic work in Peter. What happened? There was a change. How? By grace. Amen? There's a change when you, when you truly meet Jesus, when you're truly born again. You don't remain in your sin. You're not, no longer comfortable in your sin. I've got a problem with folks who say they've been saved, but there's never any change in their life. They still got the same old stinking attitude they've always had. When you get saved, let me tell you what will happen. You'll start loving people who don't even know why you love them. You'll love people that hate you. You'll pray for those who despitefully use you. You'll reach out to those who want nothing to do with you, who talk bad about you. Can you say amen? Why? Because you've been changed, brothers, sisters, by the power of God. There's a change that takes place. I'm telling you, the old man... It's passed away, and all things become new. Look at Paul. Paul was the foremost persecutor of the gospel. He held the coats of the men who stoned Stephen, did his part to imprison every Christian he came across. He was on his way to Damascus to do just that, and while on the road to Damascus, he meets Jesus. He went from being the foremost persecutor of the gospel to being the foremost preacher of the gospel. Writing 13 books in the New Testament, Went on three missionary journeys all over the known world and changed this world, turned it upside down for the cause of Christ. Why? 
because he met Jesus and there was a change. Let me ask you something. Has there been a change? Do you know God's done a work in your heart? I'm not asking if you've joined the church. I'm not asking if you've been baptized. I'm not asking how good a person you are. I'm asking you, have you been changed by the power of God, by God's grace through faith in Jesus? If not, today's the day. That's the power of grace. It saves us. Then I want you to see the people of grace. Now notice in verse number 9, before we go any further, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, the power of grace is to save. Notice it says in verse 9, there is no power in works. Do you see that? See, a lot of people think that one day when you stand before God, there's going to be a, a great big scale and everything you've done right is going to be on one side and everything you've done wrong is going to be on the other side. And somehow uh, the, your good things outweigh your bad things. God's going to say, okay, you, you, you can come on in. Folks, that's not how it works because the truth is while we are in our sin, everything we do is sinful. It's tainted by sin. Can't be pleasing unto God. The Bible says, Isaiah 64 and 6, that our righteousnesses, the good things we do, are like filthy rags when you hold it up next to God's standard. So thereby we see our need for grace. Grace has the power to save. Works do not. Now I will say this, listen to me. If you've truly been saved, it'll be evidenced by your works. James says the same thing. He says, I'm going to show you my faith by my works. And that's what we are called to do. Which brings me to my next point. The, the, the people uh, of God, the, uh, or the, excuse me, the people of grace. Look at verse number 10. The Bible says, for we are his workmanship. Who is God's workmanship? Who are the people of grace? Well, it's those who have accepted the gift. Look what it says in, Roman, in, in Ephesians 2, 8 at the last part. It says that grace is a gift of God. Let's just say this morning that I had everybody in here present. And I put it right up here under this uh, in remembrance table right here. I had them all stacked up. Now, I bought that present for you, and I, and, I, and I set it right up here. If you never come and receive this gift for yourself, is it going to do you any good? No, absolutely not. Hey, this gift shows my love for you. Amen? But if you don't receive it, it's not going to amount to a hill of beans for you. It ain't going to mean nothing. So the people of grace, the workmanship that's spoken of here in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 10 are those who have received God's free gift of grace. Those who have been born again in the family of God. Those who have trusted by Jesus in faith and by grace been saved. And the Bible says then we become God's workmanship. What is workmanship? Well, if I'm a painter, my workmanship would be a painting. If I'm a carpenter, my workmanship could be this chair. Now, how many of you know a painting has a purpose? And so does a chair. That's why the painter painted the painting. That's why the carpenter made the chair. Amen? It has a purpose to be fulfilled. We, as God's workmanship, who have been saved by grace through faith, listen, we have a purpose. Each and every one of us. 
Now let's get real practical this morning. Listen to me, folks. If we don't get down to where things get, uh, to where the rubber meets the road, if we don't get practical in what it means to serve Jesus, we're never going to be what God has called us to be. So, so what does it mean that we are his workmanship? Well, the Bible says we've been created, verse number 10, in Christ Jesus, watch this, unto good works. What are good works? It's works that glorify God. Let me tell you what your purpose is as a child of God. Let me tell you what all of our purpose is. As a child of God, you can realize it. Now, if you've never been saved, today you can trust in Jesus and you can begin to realize your purpose. But if you're here this morning and you've been born again by grace through faith, your number one purpose is to know God and to make Him known. To glorify God in all the earth. Amen? That's my purpose. That's your purpose. That's all of our purpose. How do we do that? We do it in where we live. Day by day, we do it at our workplace. We do it at our home. We do it in our church. We perform these good works, not that so we might be glorified, but so our Heavenly Father might be glorified. The Bible tells us plainly that we are to work in the church. Let me give you that scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 7. The Bible says that all of us as the people of God have been gifted with certain giftings so that we might work in the church. Do you know that you're not in Mount Zion by accident? You're not here uh, simply by uh, coincidence. You are here for a reason. You're here for a purpose. God has gifted you with certain talents and abilities so that you might be needful for the body. So that you might profit. With all, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. I want to be a prophet to you. You need to be a prophet to me. We work together in glorifying God. So let me ask you this. Are you using the talents and abilities that God has given you to glorify Him in your church? What you said, brother, God ain't giving me no talent. Yes, He's giving you a talent, I promise you. Some of you are gifted teachers. Are you teaching? Are you using that talent, that ability that God has given you, that gifting that God has given you to do just that. Some of you are, are gifted in service. There is a gift of service, a gift of ministry. Some of you are gifted in that. Some of you are gifted in mercy. Some of you are gifted uh, in many, many, many different ways. L let me tell you this. I know some of you can cook a mean supper. Amen. Some of you can cook a mean chocolate pie. Do you know that you can use that gift, that talent, that ability to honor and glorify God? Ain't that right, sister? You've got some of them this week, ain't you? Maybe not chocolate pies, but you've got something. Why? Because, listen, we use what we can do to be a part of the body and to profit with all. Whatever that is. Work in your church. Glorify God in your church with what you can do. Look for what you can do. Pray about God using you in those areas. Then be submissive to His will. The child of God who's working in the church is the child of God who's happiest. The child of God who's not serving gets sour. They sit, they soak, they sour. You need to serve. Start serving. Find a way to get involved, to get plugged in, and get plugged in and work. Work in the church. Work in the home. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, love and respect your husbands. Parents, Raise up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's what we're called to do. That's our purpose. What about at your work? I mean, your work day by day. 
your school. Well, Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 23 says that whatever our hands find to do, we ought to do it as we're doing it under the Lord. To honor and glorify Him. So then guess what happens? What we do in the church, in the world, is no longer separate. I think for, for far too long, we've tried to separate the spiritual and the secular. For the child of God, there is no separation. I want you to know, I am serving God at my workplace when I'm being the employee God's called me to be. When I'm working as I'm working under the Lord. I told my boss, we was having, uh, we, uh, years ago, we had devotion every Monday morning at our, at our workplace. And I was speaking during devotion one Monday morning. And I told my boss, I don't really know that he liked it that much. But I said, brother, I want you to know I'm really not working for you. I'm not here to please you. I'm here to please Jesus in all I do. Now, when I please Jesus in all I do, I'll definitely please him. When I work as I'm working under the Lord, it'll make a difference in every way. Amen. So everything we do becomes an act of worship when we do it for the Lord. Whether it be at church, at home, at work, whatever's going on. Isn't that good news? We are the people of grace. By God's power, we've been saved. We do have purpose. Let's fulfill it. Amen. Let's find ways this week to fulfill it. Let's look for ways we can love people. We can show the love of Christ. Do you know you show love for God by loving people? Hey, meeting needs? A call of encouragement? Just call somebody up and say, I'm praying for you? Call somebody up, get them on the phone, just pray for them right there over the phone. I love to do that. I love when people do that for me. I had a brother just, just last week, he called me up and said, be quiet, I'm going to pray for you. He knew if he didn't say be quiet, I wasn't going to be quiet. <laughs> he knows me pretty good. He called, first thing, first word he said, just be quiet, I'm going to pray for you. He started praying, man, just prayed up a storm, never said nothing else. Just hung up the phone. <laughs> I like that. That's good. Hey, man, find ways to love people. Find ways to be the people of grace. Amen? Everybody stand. This morning, you may be here and you've never yet met Jesus. You've never trusted in Christ by faith and been saved by grace. Well, if not, this message is for you. What are you waiting on? Today's the day. Trust in Him. In His finished work. Not in what you can do, what you've done, or what you ain't done. Trust in Jesus this morning. He's enough. If you'll trust in Him for salvation, He'll save you. You'll be born again into God's family. You'll become a part of the people of grace. That's what I want. That's what God wants. That's why He sent His Son. If you need the Lord this morning for salvation, you come. You say, brother, I just need to be saved. I can share with you what it means to be saved in the Word of God. Folks, I want you to know, coming down this aisle don't save you. Um, being in this church don't save you. Being a good person don't save you. We've already talked about all that. What saves you is by grace, through faith, in Christ you're saved. Make that decision this morning. If you've already made that decision, let me ask you this. Are you glorifying God in what you do? Can you honestly say your life is glorifying unto the Lord? I, I don't know about you, but um, this morning before I ever came out here, I had to get on my face before the Lord and say, Lord, 
you know where I fail you. See, folks, the truth is, I've got a desire within me to please God and fulfill my purpose, to be His workmanship. I truly do. I want to be the husband to my, to my wife that she needs me to be. I want to be the uh, father to my children that God has called me to be. I want to be the pastor of this church that you need and God is pleased with. I want to be a witness at my workplace like God has called me to be a witness at my work. I want to do all those things. I have that desire within me because He saved me. But I want you to know from time to time, I fail just like all of us do. Nobody's perfect at it. I got some good news for you. Do you realize this morning, folks, that even though sometimes we blow it and we just know we've blown it, God's grace is still sufficient? It is. For all of us. For me, you, and everybody else. And James Chapter number four, verse number six, the Bible says, but he gives more grace. Isn't that awesome? See, God gives grace to save, but he also keeps you saved by his grace. You, you know what um, Dr. James McDonald says it like this. He said, grace not only saves us, but grace enables us to become what we've been saved to be. <laughs> That's good stuff. Grace enables us to be fathers Mothers, husbands, wives, witnesses, workers in the church. He enables us to be what God wants. And if you need more grace, He's got it. He gives more grace right now today. But you know what He says? He gives grace to the humble, but He resists the proud. Right here. Wherefore God saith He resisted the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Today, you may just need to humble yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, I need your grace in this area of my life. Lord, you know where I'm struggling over here. I need your grace in that area. You know what God spoke to your heart. Whatever you need, you come this morning.